0: Now, I did the children's sermon, and I'm sure that many of you were wondering what I did. I sat down. Um, do you want to see what I did and was explained to the kids? Because the kids are going to try to explain it to you. Now, this is, see, this is why you go to seminary, folks. It's Sermon Illustration 101, and uh, I, I did okay in this class. I didn't do great in Greek and Hebrew, uh, but I can sure make silly little illustrations. Uh, for kids. I was just telling the kids that the only way, you know, to get to heaven isn't on a spaceship or anything like that. And just folded this piece of paper for them. And maybe if you have those kids, they're going to try to do this for you later. So you can help them a little bit. So folded it and said, you know, they're not going to get there on a plane like this and maybe make the plane a little sleeker. But even that plane's not really that cool. But that that plane or that spaceship isn't going to get them to heaven. But the only way that they're going to get to heaven is through a cross. So... Um, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, On that. But uh, like I said, the sermon is going to suffer and pale in comparison to that illustration. Now, Um, you know, with that wow in hand, um, I couldn't remember. I was sitting there trying to think of it like, did I use this one with them? And I've only got like three. So I'm going to use them up really quickly uh, with that. But talking about that gospel, that cross, it really is the most important thing that we can teach to ourselves and to our children. Is to say this, what you believe, is of absolute importance. You do know that, don't you? There, there are two words that are big words, but it's important. Orthodoxy, what you believe, proper belief, uh, People ask sometimes, oh, are you, are you guys at your church, you're a conservative church versus a, a liberal church? And I was like, no, we're what I would call an orthodox church. We believe in the proper orthodoxy of what we believe is the historic orthodox belief of the gospel. What you believe then leads to proper orthopraxy, how you live. What you believe affects how you live. Do you agree with that statement? You see, when you begin to look at the world around us and begin to question belief structures, that's where it should start, not on behaviors as much as it is of what is it that's driving that behavior. What is the belief structure, be it in politics, be it in religion, be it in relationships or schools, or whatever it is, you're looking at belief structures. You can go back and you can look at uh, things that have happened in the world, some of the great atrocities in the world, What was it that led Hitler and Nazi Germany and most of a country to believe that the extermination of a race of individuals was a reasonable thing? It was a belief structure. A belief structure that said that the strong survive and they defeat the weak. And that in that evolutionary process, that there really isn't an argument against what Hitler did. Because he was working off of his belief structure, which said, the strong conquer the weak. We've determined that the strong, the German race, is better than the Jewish people and their background, and so we're going to exterminate them. Now, you want to get into a lively conversation, go onto college campuses today that believe in evolutionary theory and progressive evolution within the culture and ask them to argue against Hitler. Because all he did was work out to its end conclusion that system of belief. Do you see how beliefs are dangerous? They lead you to actions that you go, Whoa, 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 that shouldn't, but it seems to make sense based on this belief pattern. And so it is with your lives. What you believe is of absolute importance. But we don't like to spend a lot of time dealing with belief structures. We like to deal with emotions, feelings, excitement, energy, those kind of things. And the church suffers at times because we get all caught up in a moment of revival or of movement of the Spirit, and things are going great. And then you start to ask questions about, all right, what's driving that action? That seems to be good. I I like what I see happening there, but why are you doing it? What's What's your belief behind that? An illustration that I've used, and some friends are here from Rock Hill again, and sorry, you've heard this illustration before. I remember sitting uh, at a luncheon one time. It was a men's conference of pastors and all, and one of my favorite pastors was there. His name's Scotty Smith. He was at uh, Christ, um, Christ Church Community Church in Franklin, Tennessee. And I sat there, and it was time to pray. And now, men, what do you do when you have a hat on when it's time to pray? You take your hat off normally. And so I'm right across from this man who I just think is awesome and it's time to pray and I bow my head and I take my hat off and as the person's praying somewhere in the cafeteria, I hear Scotty Smith look at me and go, why'd you take your hat off? And I thought I I just must have been hearing things because no one speaks during a prayer, especially not a pastor. And I didn't say anything and he goes, why did you take off your hat? I said, because you're supposed to. He goes, why? And this prayer's still going on, and I'm talking with this pastor. Like, because I'm supposed to. I'm Southern and you take your hat off. My daddy said, when you walk into a house, you take your hat off, boy. When when you pray, you take your hat off. And then you put your hat back on. He goes, Why? Why did your dad tell you that? It's like, I don't know. Leave me alone. You're messing up my stuff. Because all I knew was I was supposed to do it, but I had no idea of why I was supposed to do it. Do you understand? I had no belief structure behind it. I just did it because my daddy told me to do it. How many things are there in your life that you do and you have no real understanding of why you do them? Your beliefs. Have you sat down and considered... What you believe. I want us here. To be a church. That knows what we believe. And why we believe it. And you don't have to agree with everything by the way. But I want you to at least know what we believe and why we believe it. And my hope is that you'll agree with most of it. And there's other parts that just are... There's some insignificant parts and there's some significant parts. Those parts that aren't that significant, we can agree to disagree on. And still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Living in unity together. But there's other parts that we have to agree on. We have to hold a similar and a, a same belief in that. Paul is coming here to the Galatian church and he is beginning to address them not on their rank immorality like he did in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, he wrote letters, he said, you folks are nuts. You're doing things and you're living in such a way that you're bringing shame on Jesus Christ and you've got to stop that kind of lifestyle and that behavior. Here he begins by saying, you're believing something that's not right. I'm not worried about your morality, I'm worried of why you're being moral. I'm not worried about the fact that you're religious. I'm worried about the motives behind your religion. I'm not worried that you want to keep the law and, and live a lifestyle that's lawful. I'm worried about why you want to do that. George Whitfield had said this and then another pastor picked up on it. He said, it's so often not our abominable sins that we need to repent of, but our damnable good works. Think about that. We go, and in the time of confession, what is it that you were probably asking for, for forgiveness about? God, I cussed this week, and I, I had this bad thought, or I lingered too long in looking about this, or I did this, or I did that. How many of you asked, God, forgive me for my righteousness? for the fact that I wanted to look good in front of other people, that I had my quiet time only to try to get you to like me more this week. I, 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 it, do you see what I'm saying? Our righteousness sometimes, our religious behavior is what we should repent of. And that's what Paul is beginning to challenge. He's saying, folks, you're beginning to believe wrong things. And you're beginning to believe wrong things about the gospel. You're adding to the gospel. The gospel message is a very simple message that does not need anything added to it. And you need to stick to that simple, orthodox belief and don't go beyond it. Does that make sense? That's where we're starting today, is with belief. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me over to Galatians chapter 1. Remember we said it's easy to find Galatians, General Electric Power Company, GE. So it's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians are Paul's letters. You'll remember that. You think it's goofy. but um, So Galatians, this letter that Paul's writing. We said last week that he came and he said, Paul, I'm an apostle and I'm speaking to you about this good news of grace and peace which is for you in the freedom that we have in Christ. And now he picks up in verse 6 and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed or anathema. And we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Let's pray. Father, come now again by your spirit. Bless our time. Let us understand you and know your word more. Teach us. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever tried to explain something to a child? I wish more of you would try to do a children's lesson. It is hard to explain complex thought In the simplicity of a child's mind. My father drilled within me growing up. Billy, if you can't explain this to someone else, then you yourself don't understand it well enough. He was absolutely right. We need to know the things that we believe. We need to understand things well enough so that we can begin to explain them to other people. I was talking with a friend this week who had something going on in uh, his work, and he put it in really simple terms for me, and I got it. I don't understand all that he does or what that part was that went wrong, but I understood that there was something wrong in the fabrication of it and the wrong use of a metal, and because of that, it failed, and he had to take care of it. And he explained it to me really simply. You know what that means about him? He knows his business well. And you can trust him in the business because he knows his stuff. Now, how many of you can explain your Christian beliefs well? A person drops out of the sky and says, I don't know anything about this Orthodox Christianity and I need you to explain it to me. Can you tell me about this faith that you say you're willing to live and die for? How would you do? Well, um... You see, um, it's, you know, there's God, right? And, you know, then there's us, you know, um, and there's, you know, we're not, you know, and I'm speaking like my teenagers, you know, and um, it's, well, there was some problems, and so Jesus, right? Jesus. And then you get to heaven, right? Right? Now, most of us couldn't explain it a whole lot better than that. But yet you're staking your eternal salvation on something that you stammer and mammer about and can't really fully explain because most of us haven't taken a lot of time to really delve in to know what it is. Do you know the only way that you'll ever know a counterfeit? is to study the real thing. For bank examiners and check fraud folks and folks who are studying money, And they want to be able to find counterfeits. Do you know how they find counterfeits? It's not by studying the counterfeits. It's by studying the real things so well. If you go into a museum and you look at a Monet or Degas, how do you know whether or not it's real? You know the real thing and you can tell a substitute. That's Paul's beginning place here. He says, folks, be careful, because there are perversions to the gospel. So the first question then needs to be this. What is the gospel? What's the gospel? Do you know the gospel well enough to know if I stand up here and pervert it? Do you know it well enough that... This new pastor who you've brought in and you're excited about having isn't going to get up here and subtly, with nice words and cute little illustrations, turn this thing from the truth into a heresy, but you don't even see it because you don't know the real thing well enough. Do you know it that well that you can challenge me? Do you? I hope so. Praise God. Some One person does. I know you will. And, uh No, but I want you to, guys. You need to. Why? Who are the ministers of this church? You are. You are the ministers of this church. And so as we come together, you need to know what it is that we hold in common belief. You need to know what the gospel is. And Paul regularly preached the gospel to the churches in Galatians. He says, oh, I'm just so concerned. I'm astonished at how quickly you're leaving the thing that I taught you so well. I laid the foundation for you and you got it. And now you're moving on. Folks... What's the first foundation? We've started to talk about it. And that's what this whole study of Galatians is going to be. It's going to be a filling out of the description of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're going to get it more and more each week. That's why I want it to build upon each week. And that we're going to grow. And that we're going to see the gospel. And then we're going to see the nuances of the gospel. And we're going to see that as the light shines in it, there's all these pieces of it that make it so beautiful. We've said so far about the gospel a few things that the gospel is about freedom, right? For freedom, Christ set you free. Don't return again, therefore, into a yoke of slavery. It's saying that the gospel is about moving away from the law. The law drives us to Christ, shows us our need of Christ, and then Christ is the one who cleanses us and changes us. And we are free now, not from the law, by the way, There are accusations out there uh, that what we're going to be preaching here at this church is we're going to preach that you don't have to worry about the law at all. I'm going to preach this, that if you fall in love and you know the gospel of Jesus Christ so well, you will want to live an obedient life for him. You get that, right? Remember what we said? The indicative always precedes the imperative. For this has been done for you, now go and do these things. Because I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of the land of Egypt, because Christ has died for you, now therefore live for him. So we're going to live for him. And we want to be a a church that highlights those things. But we want to first understand what we believe about him in that. So we say it's about freedom based on the work of Jesus Christ alone. His completed once and for all act on the cross that he did. It says Christ died for you. While you were yet sinners, he died for you. That you might become, he says, he became the very sin on a cross. Why? So that you would become the very righteousness of God. That you were aliens and sojourners, that you were lost and foreigners, but he's now made you sons and daughters. He's adopted you to be sons and daughters of the king, the king of kings. That's what's happening in this gospel. And Paul says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith and that works, not of works, so that none should boast. So we see in this picture that the gospel is freedom, that it's grace and peace working in our lives. Uh, We see that it was Christ who gave himself for us. And Paul here says in verse 6 that God's calling us in the grace of Christ. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Another part of that gospel. The gospel is God's calling you. Kaleo. He's calling you out of your old life into this new life. You do realize that you wouldn't come to this new life if He didn't call you. You would stay just happy where you are. But God, rich in mercy, intervened into your life and called you out of darkness into light. So a part of the gospel that we learn today is it's His calling into grace, into His life. So... We begin by saying, This is what we believe about the gospel. And then Paul warns us there are perversions that are out there. Look at how often he says it here in these few verses. You're turning to a different gospel. The word in the Greek says uh, something strange or altered. You're turning to an altered gospel. Uh, not that there is another one, but some of you, uh, some trouble you and want to pervert, that is, to reverse or turn inside out. They preach this gospel that's contrary, and he uses the word contrary twice. What Paul is saying is that to pervert the gospel at all is to totally change it from what it is and to make it not a gospel at all. He's not saying there are multiple gospels out there. He's saying there's one gospel and then there's perversions of this gospel which aren't the gospel at all. Do you know it well enough to know? So many of the churches of today in America... Go to Europe and look at the beauty of the churches in Europe. And they're absolutely empty. The battles over what they believe were lost because what happened was that the clergy were the only ones who studied these things. And the folks in the pews just listened. And all of a sudden, very subtly, arguments changed way up top. And all of a sudden, beliefs began to change. And all of a sudden, it began to say, you know, Jesus didn't really have to be a historic figure. It doesn't really have, you don't have to believe that Jesus really lived as long as you believe in a cross for yourself. As long as you feel sorry for your sins. Or as we've said before, you'll hear us say regularly here, this is the word of God. Go to some of the other churches on the island and in the area and what you will hear is this statement. This contains the word of God. Do you see a danger in that? What's the danger? The danger is this also contains non-word of God. And guess who gets to determine which is which? I do. And you do. We get to determine what's myth and what's real. And Paul is saying, be careful of those things. Know what you believe and why you believe them. Because anything different is a perversion. Anything different from the Orthodox gospel is a perversion. And it's not the gospel itself. And folks, here's the danger in it. If it's not the gospel, guess what? It can't save you. And Paul is going to get into this whole idea of works. If you think it's by what you can add to it, then you're in real trouble. Because at the end of the day, you're going to stand before God and it says, and when that final trumpet sounds, then you're going to stand there and it says, Oh, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? When we should be hearing about his resume, guess what? It's going to be us reading ours. Instead of us listening to the trumpet blast, we're going to be tooting our own horns, as Max Lucado likes to say. He's saying... On that day, the only response has to be, the only thing I bring here is the mess. But I stand, and it's this one, Christ, who stands for me. And so, cried the only reason that you should let me into your heaven is because of his completed work on my behalf. Well done, good and faithful servant. If you add anything into it, folks... We should, our hearts should be broken and we should be wanting to go and to challenge our friends who live in a world that says you work your way into heaven. We live in a pluralistic society and that's a good thing. It's a good thing to say that people are free to hold their beliefs. But what that doesn't mean is all beliefs are equally true. If you believe the gospel is the truth and it is then it is our duty and our responsibility to those we love to go and to point out in them the errors of their way in a loving engaging way i have absolutely enjoyed the fact that even though hilton head is in the south it's not all that southern do you notice that some of you most of you aren't from i haven't met how many of you are from south carolina originally wow i knew that was about right like how many of you are from non south Man, that you know what's fun about that? I've had some of the most engaging conversations because folks who aren't inbred in sort of a southern church system, well, I went to church, therefore I'm saved. My grandmother played organ in the southern Baptist church or the Methodist church or my daddy was an itinerant pastor in the Lutheran church or whatever. They're saved. I've had some great conversations Just sitting down and just striking them up with folks who go, well, I'm from here and you're a Presbyterian pastor. I don't believe any of that stuff. Awesome. I had a guy the other night tell me, he said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John got together in a cave and they came up with this to think how crazy it could be and to see if anybody would believe it. I said, that is fascinating. We sat for an hour and a half and we talked about the gospel. I've been in Rock Hill, South Carolina for six and a half years. And I can't remember the last time I had an hour and a half conversation with a non-believer. Because everybody's church believers. We should want to engage the world around us. But the only way we can is if we know what we believe and can articulate it. So folks, I want you to be articulate. I want you to know the gospel well. I want you to study it. We're going to put things in front of you, not just so we can say, look at how many people come. We don't want small groups just to be about small groups. Say, look how many small groups we have. Look how many journey groups we have. Look at how our women get together and do that. And our kids are getting catechized and all that. That's not the point. The point is we want you to know the truth and it to just be in you and become so much of a fabric of who you are that you're able then to go out and to share it with everybody who's around you. And to tell them in a loving, engaging manner, this is what I believe. And I listen, I hear what you believe. And I was talking to these guys and it was awesome. I said, man, I hear you. Four guys getting together in a cave. Here's my thought on that. I believe it to be true because there's no way four guys could ever come up with something this crazy. (laughs) They would get there and go... No, a God coming down and taking on the form of man. Oh, come on. No one's going to believe that. So they would have modified it. This has to be true in part because it's so crazy. And he goes, hadn't thought of it that way. (laughs) I was like, well, think about it that way. He goes, huh, I might. He said, now I used to be a Catholic. Can I still come to your Presbyterian church? I said, I would love for you to. Because I promise you, I'm not going to beat up on you being a Catholic. What I'm going to do is let's talk about Christ and not worry. I love when people ask me, "So what religion are you?" And I'm like, "What do you mean?" They say, "Well, I'm Lutheran. What religion are you?" Or, "I'm Baptist. What religion are you?" Well, I'm Christian. I happen to go to a Presbyterian church. I want us to all understand what it means to be Christian in that. That's what I want the excitement to be about. Because here's where the worry comes and we're going to end with this. Paul doesn't mince words. Paul says, for those men and women who have penetrated into the church in Galatia and have continued throughout all the ages to penetrate into the church of Jesus Christ and pervert the gospel and lead God's people away and to lead them to damnation. Here's what Paul has to say about those individuals. He doesn't say, oh, bless their little souls. He doesn't say they're just a little mistaken. He says, may they be anathemaed. May they be accursed and thrown into the pit of hell to experience the full wrath of God. That's how much Paul hated people who perverted the gospel. Because he said it is damning people to hell. So folks, I want us to be an incredibly loving church. But I want to be a church that is built on conviction. That says we will love our neighbors and we will engage the other churches around us and we will engage the other religions that are showing up around, but we will stand firm and that we will say, folks, this is important on what we believe and why we believe it. Because guess what's at stake here? Souls. Every one of those little kids, when I said, who wants to go to heaven? How many of them raised their hands? Every one of them. And if I told them, just don't lie and just don't steal, do and be a good little girl and be a good little boy and Jesus will love you. Guess what I've just done? I've damned them to hell by their morality. Instead of saying this, you know, I hope you don't lie and I hope you don't steal and I hope you don't do that, but I know that you will. But let me tell you about someone who never lied and never stole. And never coveted. And never did anything wrong. And it's Jesus Christ. And if you believe in Him, then when you do lie, you're forgiven. And when you believe in Him and you do steal that pack of candy, or you do want and covet that, or you cheat on your test, or you have sex before marriage, or you have an abortion, or or you do this, or you do that, guess what? When you come back to Christ and you plead His blood and His righteousness, you are forgiven in Him. That's what we need to be teaching. Nothing else than that. Paul said, folks, know what you know and know it well so that you can live the life that he's given you to live. That's what this table right here is all about. It is an expression of your belief that Jesus Christ died, that his body was given for us. And it says that he says, I'm the bread of life. And he said, my body, my life had to be given for you. And then he said, my blood had to be spilled and you had to come and you had to eat and drink of it in that way. He said, you had to come. This had to happen in order for you to get to heaven for you could never get there on your own. That's the beauty of the gospel message that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. And he came to make me and you children of God. Let's pray. Father now as we come. And we prepare ourselves. For this table. We pray. Father that. You would bless us. afresh and anew with your presence. Father teach us. Your spirit says that it teaches us. So I pray that you would teach us your ways. That we would know the gospel so well. Not that we could use it as a sledgehammer. And, and beat over the lives of other people. But we could use it as as a surgeon's scalpel, to go in and to be able to look at the disease and the loss and the death of their heart and to go in and as a healing tool to go in and to offer life. Father, I pray that we would be a people of the word and we would know what we believe and why we believe it. And we would be able to share it with others. And if any perversion enters into this church, we would know it and get rid of it quickly. And that we would live for the beauty of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This we pray in his name and to his glory. Amen.